this is uh, an interesting season in, the, in, our, in our country. Uh, in 2016, um, we kind of the whole year was kind of dominated by the election. How many of you are glad the election's over with? Say amen, everybody. I, boy, I had to leave a lot of y'all on Facebook because I, <laughs> it just, boy, it just gets wild during election season. And, and the truth is, during election season, everybody's talking about one thing. They're all promising the same thing. Doesn't matter what side you are, Republican, Democrat, elephant, donkey. Most of them are donkeys. It doesn't really matter what it is that you are. In that political process, it's it's just about it's just everybody's selling one thing, and that's hope. If you'll vote for me, you know, you, there's hope for our country. If you'll put your, you know, you put your vote in me, or the other side of that is if you vote for them, you know, that we have no hope, and all hope is lost, and the country's gonna, you know, just it's gonna it's gonna go away. And everybody's talking about hope, and especially kind of in light of what we're going through as a country right now, uh, it just seems. You know, that it, it, things are just kind of in question. What's going on? The world seems crazy. And the, every day you turn the news on. I'm kind of a news junkie, so you turn the news on. And everybody's got something bad to say. I think when you come to church, you ought to hear good news. Amen, everybody. I hear enough bad news. If you want to know about the apocalypse and the four horsemen and who's cutting whose head off, this ain't the right church for you. But if you want to know that God still reigns and that Jesus is alive, this is the right church for you, everybody. I just want to give you some hope today. And here's the, here's the truth of the matter. There are two kinds of hope. And a lot of people sort of get this mixed up. There are people who hope for something. They put their hope in something. I hope this thing happens. And then there are people who need to find hope in someone. These are very, very different than hoping for something or hoping in someone. When you hope for something, then you're hoping for a particular outcome. You know, I hope that it works this way. I hope that Manu gets his eye fixed uh, because uh, this, this series is going to be hard in the playoffs. Amen. Every Spurs fan, say amen to that. I hope everything's okay. I, I, just, I put my hope, I hope, for, I hope for this job. I hope, I hope I get this job. I hope I get that house. I hope I get that girl, all the single dudes. I, I hope I get that girl and she gets that job and we buy that house because I ain't got no job. I hope, I hope that everything, that's the way most of y'all act. I, I, hope, I hope that everything just works. I hope I get him and I hope that he got a good job because I ain't trying to go to work. I, I just, I, I put my hope in that thing. I hope I get this promotion. I hope I get that car. I hope we get this house. I just, I hope we get that thing. Here's the, here's the truth of the matter. Even when we know it's a long shot, there's some single ugly guys out here today. It's a long shot for some of you. You know, you know it too. Don't point at nobody. You know it's a long shot for the stuff you're hoping for. But we just, everybody lives and dies on hope. Man, I hope I get this. I'm just putting my hope in that thing. And here's the truth of the matter. When that stuff falls through and we lose hope, I have hoped for a long time that the Spurs would call me up. I have hoped. I've just, I put my hope. I've just been hoping for that. I've been thinking, Pop, put me in. Last night when Manu got punched in the eye, I thought, I'm in. This is my chance right now. Put me, put me in, coach. And my hopes are dead. It's not gonna, I'm never going to get called by this person. There's some stuff in your life that you just put your hopes in, man. Go, I, I just hope this, I hope I get this promotion. And then, and then the guy in the office next to you gets it. I hope we get married and then he walks away. I, I hope we have kids. It could be harder. And then we can't. I hope that she pulls through. And then she dies. I hope it's not cancer. And that it is. I hope, I, I hope that I just, I'm going to put my hope in. If that thing will work, then everything will be okay. I hope she comes back and she doesn't. I hope he doesn't leave and he does. 
And if it's not that today in your life, let me tell you, the, the, I'm, I know this sounds like I'm, I'm starting with bad news, but I gotta be, if I'm the first one to tell you, if you keep putting your hope in something, if you keep a hope for that thing, eventually you will be disappointed in that thing. When you get married, you're going to realize she's not what you thought she was. She's just like her mama. <laughs> you're going <laughs> to you're going to realize he's not. He don't even have a job. He lied about that. He just got up in the morning and played video games. He just, I put my hope in that. You're going to get that house and you're going to realize I hate this house. We can't afford this house. I hope I get that promotion. And then you get that promotion and you're gone all the time. You don't see your kids. You're going to realize at some point in your life, if I keep putting my hope in things and for that next thing, eventually that stuff's just going to fade away. Everything in this world, let me be the first to tell you, will melt away. It just will fade away. It just will eventually disappoint. And what happens next, the question that you have to answer next, listen, this is where most people have a problem with Christianity. It's not that they struggle with believing in the resurrection. It's not that they struggle in believing that Jesus Christ was God come to us, that He paid for my sins. Most everybody, unless you're just a hardcore skeptic, can at least wrap your head around that or you heard that at some point in your life. Here's where the problem lies. The problem lies when I've hoped for something so long and that thing doesn't happen and it disappoints. Now what do I do? When you hope for a baby and you can't get pregnant. When you hope that the answer is all clear and it comes back, the cancer's back. When you hope for a marriage that lasts forever and two or three or four years later, he walks out. And I put my hope in that thing and when that thing lets me down, now everything around me is crushed and I lose out with everything. And the first thing that we do, I don't know about you, let me just be honest with you, here's the first thing I do. When the thing I put my hope in lets me down, I don't blame that. The first thing I do is go to God and blame Him. Must be your fault. Why did you let this happen to me? Why did? Here's what I want you to do. Let me just give you the... If you want to go to sleep, the rest of the message, let me tell you what the message today is. You ready for this? You and I, when you've lost hope for something that you're hoping for, have you met somebody that you can put your hope in? I want to introduce you to somebody today that you can put your hope in that will not disappoint you, that will not let you down, that it doesn't matter how bad it gets, it doesn't matter how bleak the, the, the situation, it doesn't matter how far it seems. When everything else disappoints me in my life, when everything else falls apart, the person I'm preaching to you about today will not... How many of you found that God is faithful? Say amen, everybody. That God never lets me down. That He never disappoints me. That when I put my trust in Him, whether or not He answers my question, whether or not He does the thing I want Him to do. Now, I'm an old school preacher, and if you're new here today, you're going to figure that out real quick like, even though I normally preach in blue jeans, I'm still old school. And I forgot my hanky. And old school preachers carry hankies. So this is my pocket square. And I don't even care. I'm just going to preach with my pocket square. Y'all okay with that? Y'all just tell somebody. He, the boy preached with his pocket square. I don't even care today, but it's hot up here. I got my fat suit on and it's hot in this fat suit. So. You got to put your hope in someone instead of for something. I want to tell you about somebody who the whole Bible, not just the Easter story, but everything in the Bible points to this one person that you can put your hope in that never disappoints you, that never lets you down. And preachers really, really struggle. I was talking to a few pastor friends of mine yesterday about our Easter message. And this is our first Easter as a church, but it's really hard because everybody kind of expects you to preach the, you know, the, the thing that you're supposed to preach. And eventually, everybody's kind of heard the Easter story. So you're all kind of scratch your head as a preacher going, man, how do I make this engaging? So 
So I'm in prayer and just thinking about it, I told you I'm kind of old school. I'm going to start preaching today from an obscure Old Testament story. Like this is probably one you've never heard before. And, 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 and if you've been around church for a little while, you may have heard it. You don't even know what it has to do with that. And you're going to, be, you're going to think eventually through there, thank you, bub. This is my man right here. This is Will and Will's friend right here. Um, and we're, I'm going to preach from a story that you probably think this has nothing to do with Easter whatsoever. But just stick with me and I promise you it will. Uh, let me give you a little history. If you're new to the Bible, this is kind of uh, uh, this is uh, uh, early in the history of Israel as a nation. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. You remember this. God delivers them. That's the first Passover. God delivers them out of Egypt. And, and for 40 years they wander around. And now they're in the promised land and they're carrying around the ark of the covenant with them. They get inside the promised land, but they're still struggling. Let me stop right here and tell you. How many of you know that even when you get saved, there's still struggles you still got, everybody? Some people get saved and think everything's going to be okay. And, and you know, you come to the front, you give your heart to the Lord today, you're crying, and God changes everything, you got snot all over your suit. And you just think, man, everything's going to be great. And you get in the car and your kids are still bad. They're still bad kids. Nothing changed. Your husband's still a jerk. Everything is still, everything's, a, you, some of you still ugly. Everything's the same. I'm done with that, with the ugly jokes. I'm, done. I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I'm sorry. And, the, and the, the Israelites get into the promised land, and they're still struggling. But they've got the Ark of the Covenant with them. And, and the, they don't have a king, the Israelites. They don't have this military leader. And so Israel is fighting against the Philistines, and they're hoping for something. Now catch, catch it, what we're talking about. They have put their hope in a thing, that they're going to get victory and get the promised land. That's what I hope for. I'm hoping for the promised land. I'm hoping for victory. And so they go into battle with the Philistines, and they lose miserably. And afterwards, they debrief. They kind of all get together. You know how it is when you, you know, something goes wrong, maybe in your business or on your job, and the team loses or your department, you know, you lose a sale or something happens. You kind of all get together. Our team does it here every, every weekend. And we get together and say, hey, what worked and what didn't work uh, about this weekend? And so they got together and they were like, man, what happened? And this is what, something, listen, this is what a lot of people do when things go wrong in their life, when they lose the battle. Listen, here's what they do. They get in a circle together, and here's the question they ask. I don't know if you've ever asked this like I have, but they ask this question. Where was God? You ever asked that question? Where was God in all of that? What, I was counting on Him to come through. Why didn't He give me the thing that I thought He was going to give me? Why didn't God come through in that thing? Why didn't He show up in that thing? I don't understand. I put my hope in this thing and then God let me down. You see what we do. It's not the thing's fault. It's not that we weren't prepared for battle. Now it's God's fault. And so somebody gets a bright idea in the circle. They go, well, I tell you what we could do. We could bring the Ark of the Covenant with us. The Ark of the Covenant was this box that they carried around. And literally, the presence of God was in this. It rested on this box. And that's where they would meet with God. The presence of God would meet them on the top. And in between that, uh, in between that box there, inside of it were the Ten Commandments. And there was bread that was manna. And, and, and so they, they literally, they, they kind of, eventually over time, they started thinking, Thinking about this box as literally God. Like if that, that's God's presence for us, you know. And if we bring that in into this battle with us, there's no way we can lose. 
Some of you have thought that. If I just start going to church, there's no way I can lose. There's just, I've been tithing and I still lost my job. <laughs> and then we blame God. What, what is the problem? I've been going to church every single Sunday and it's not working anymore. <laughs> and, so, and that's what the, the Israelites, they bring the Ark of the Covenant and they thought, man, this is going to give me the thing I'm hoping for. And this is going to give me what I want because God is in this box. You're going to have to forgive this reference. When I, I grew up in a really churchy home, if you can't tell, my, my mama was super churchy. And in a churchy home, my mama wouldn't let me watch The Simpsons. Anybody like that in the room right now? Yeah. My mama, I was going to go to hell if I watched The Simpsons. And I'm, anybody raised like, anybody still like your kid? Don't do Okay, well then don't let them listen to what I'm saying right now. So I, I read this the other day. You're going to have to forgive this reference, but The Simpsons, uh, uh, the Homer the, on, on The Simpsons, he pledges a bunch of money to this PBS telethon because he's tired of the telethon. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you turn it on, they're raising money over and over and over. And so Homer pledges a bunch of money so that they'll just get off the TV. The problem is he doesn't actually have any of the money that he pledges. And so PBS finds out about it. And, and, and instead of giving the money, they force him to go with a bunch of missionaries to this tropical island. And he has to build a new church there with these missionaries. Now, Homer is not a Christian. Let me just stop right there and tell you. He's not a Christian. But I, I read this and I thought this was so great about this. Here's what he said. He said, well, I don't know much about God, but we should have built him a nice little cage <laughs> I don't know much about God but we built him a nice little cage the truth is that's the way the Israelites sort of looked at the Ark of the Covenant the truth is that's how some of us are looking at God today I don't know much about him but I put him in this little box I put him in my church box I put him in my religious box I put him in this box that says man if I just do this I dress this way I go this way I give my money I do, I do I'm a good person I put him in this box and everything's going to be okay the Israelites had kind of put God in this box let me let you in on a little secret on Easter Sunday the God of the Bible just doesn't do good when you lock him up inside of a box amen everybody so they thought, well, we'll just carry this box with us. And so that's what the Israelites do. They go into the battle the second time, and it is a disaster. They lose seven times more soldiers the second time than they did the first time. And the worst thing about it is they lose the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I know you're sitting out there going, I wore an Easter suit for this. This is nothing about Easter. Just stick with me. They lose the Ark of the Covenant. The Philistines take the Ark, and they take it back to the temple of their God, little g, their, their, their God, the, the God of the Philistines at that time was called Dagon. This is the worst case scenario. Everything we've been hoping for is now gone. Listen close, because you're going to find yourself in some part of this story. Everything I've been hoping for is gone. And now, not just everything that I was hoping would, would work out is working. No, no, no. I didn't just lose the first battle. I've now lost the second battle, and I have no idea what's going on. And the Philistines have the Ark of the Covenant and they put it inside of the temple. They carry it off to a city called Ashdod and, and, and that's where Dagon is. And, and the Philistines, they all get inside there and they put the Ark of the Covenant in front of their god, Dagon. Everybody, this is Dagon. Say hello, everybody. And they put it in front of their, I don't know what he looked like, but he was a statue of some sort. I've just decided he has this uh, worship leader haircut, whatever this thing is on top of his head right there. And this is, and, and, and they set it in front of there, and, and then they start chanting and singing and, and praising and worshiping, and they tell battle stories. And, and, and they're thinking, man, Dagon gave us the victory over the Ark of the Covenant, over the God of Israel. We now have victory over that. And they're celebrating all that, and they celebrate all day and all night long. And then they decide to go home for the night, and there's nobody present. They turn all the lights off, and the Ark of the Covenant is sitting there, and Dagon, their God, is sitting there, and nobody is else in there and this is what happens if you have your bibles first samuel 
chapter 5. The people of Ashdod came in the next day. There was Dagon, and he had fallen on his face. Literally, he's laying down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what the priest of, of Dagon thought. I can tell you what they're thinking. The first thing they're thinking is, this is just a coincidence. This is crazy. I don't know what happens. But it kind of looks suspiciously like Dagon is bowing down, worshiping the God of the Israelites. This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. You know what they do? Come here, Caleb. You've got to help me, bub. They, they set Dagon back up. I need somebody with big arms and you'll do. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Come here. Stay up here. Stay up. I didn't say you could go. Come here, bub. Staying right here. You're a priest of Dagon. You see? Priest of Dagon wear short britches. And they come in the next day and, and they set Dagon back up. And they're like, man, I don't know what happened. And they start singing again. And they start praising him again. They start chanting again. There's the Ark of the Covenant. They're thinking, man, everything. We've got victory over that. They're making sacrifices. Everything's right. Listen, let me just stop right here and tell you. There's some people in, there's some people in this room who feel like that's what the enemy's doing over your life. That every time you feel like you, you, you get victory, you get knocked back down. And then eventually you start thinking, everybody's pointing at me and laughing at me. We don't understand what's going on. and We're confused. And, and so they set him up and they're, they're rejoicing and they're thinking, man, we've won again. And then it's nighttime again. Everybody goes home. They shut the lights off. And it's like night at the museum all over again. And put him down. And Dagon, the Bible says, Dagon, he, he falls on his face again. They come in the next morning and Dagon's laying down. Except this time, you don't have to do this. Don't do anything weird. They cut, his head is cut off and his hands are cut off. And they're laid at the entrance of the temple. And Dagon, all that's left is a stump of this God in front of the Ark of the Covenant. It's crazy what happens. If I'm Dagon, I'm thinking, here we go again. <laughs> here we go. I'm going to lose my head all of this. The next morning, the priests come in and the, they don't tell us what happens. But here's what I love about this story. You say, what does any of that... You can set him back up. Thank you, dude. What does any of that have to do with... Thank you. Give Caleb a big hand. Come on, everybody. What is... That's what you get for sitting on the front row. What does anything have to do with Easter? Let me tell you what. Because on the first day of this story, everything seemed lost. Everything seemed like it was lost. We've lost the battle. Nothing's going right. As a matter of fact, during this story, there's a priest in Israel named Eli. And Eli dies. And two of his sons die. And his daughter-in-law dies. And while she's, giving, uh, while she's giving birth to a child, she literally names her child Ichabod. Ichabod is a word that means the glory of God is gone. In other words, there's just no hope anymore. Everything seems to be all lost. Our, the Ark of the Covenant's been captured. Uh, we, we keep losing battles. Nothing's going to work out. The whole thing's a fairy tale. Abraham was wrong. Moses was he was wrong. There's no God. There is no Yahweh. You just get up in the morning. You work and then you die and that's it. And the glory of God is gone. That's what the first day represents heaven is silent there's no hope it seems to be everything's gone no one can understand why don't raise your hand but there's some people in the room today who are living through the worst day of your life you know what it's like to sort of get up and think, why do I even do this? I keep losing battles over and over again. You've named your life the same thing that that daughter-in-law named her son. It appears as though God's glory is just gone. 
Nothing's working out. We just can't get pregnant. He, I don't know why my marriage just will not work. Everything seems to be lost. And that's the first day. If I'm the disciples, listen close. That's the way I felt on Friday. What you call and I call Good Friday. They would call the worst day they've ever lived. It seems like all hope is gone. It seems like our God's dead. What God, what happened? Why did everything happen this way? I don't understand this. You were horrifically crucified and tortured and buried. And it just seems like all hope is lost. And now the God of all creation come as a man is inside of a tomb. And then comes the second day. I think one of the hardest days for you and I to wrap our mind around is the Saturday before Easter. It's the day when Jesus is not in the tomb. We're not celebrating the cross that paid for our sins and we're not celebrating the resurrection that gives us life. We're just kind of waiting on something to happen. Now listen close and look in my eyes. Have you ever had to wait for God to answer? Are you in a holding pattern? And you feel like, man, God, I don't understand what's going on right now. I'm not hearing anything. It's that second day when, when, when it seems like your enemies are rejoicing against you. It feels like everything's still going bad. It feels like there's just no... Pr- if I'm the disciples on Saturday, I'm kind of hanging out around the tomb going, God, this doesn't make any sense at all. God, I don't understand why. I'm just looking at it. God, this doesn't... The Bible says this, that Pilate would put a stone and then he would put a guard. On the second day, he put a guard in front of the tomb on Saturday. Listen, there's some of you who feel like that the enemy has not only sealed up your promise, but he's put a guard there just to make sure you never get happy again. There's some people in the room today who know what it's like to live through that second day of fear and worry and concern and what's happening. And if I'm the Israelites, I'm thinking, where's the Ark of the Covenant? Where, If I'm the disciples, I'm thinking, where's Jesus? Why did this have to happen? And there's some people in this room who are asking that same question. Where's God at? Why did this have to happen this way? Why did things turn out the way they did? I put my hope in this marriage and it let me down. I put my hope in this job and it let me down. I put my hope in money. I thought if I could just get out of poverty. If I could just live better than my parents lived, then everything would be okay. If I could just, I've just put my hope in the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. And eventually you realize that all of that stuff has let you down. And there are people living in that second day. But the good news I want to tell you today, the whole crux of the whole story, the crux of this story, and the crux of the Easter story is this, that God, the God of the Bible is not necessarily the God of the first day when it seems all hope is lost. And He's not necessarily the God of the second day when there's questions and confusion and fear. But the God of the Bible is the God that shows up on the third day. Everybody say amen to that. And in this story, here's what happens. Not only is Dagon laying down and his head's chopped off and his hands are chopped off, but the Israelites swoop in and they get God's presence back. Why is that? Because in the Old Testament, you will always see God is the God of the third day. He comes through on the third day. When Joseph was in prison, he said this, In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your job. When Israel was in slavery, Moses said this, Let us go three days in the wilderness. 
wilderness. When the Israelites came to Mount Sinai, they said, consecrate the people and get ready for the third day. When Israel was threatened with genocide, Esther said, I'm going to fast for three days. When Jonah, the prophet, was swallowed by the great fish, he was there for three days. When Israel was afraid to go to the promised land, Joshua said, just three days from now, we're going to cross in. And when it seemed like all hope was gone, that Jesus was in a tomb, and everybody wondered, how's this going to end? Why did it have to go this way? And when your dream seems dead, my brothers and sisters, on Easter Sunday, you got to know that God always shows up on the third day. Everybody shout amen. And there's some people in the room today who are thinking, man, I wish I could have a third day in my life. I'm living through my first day. I'm living through the hardest day of my life. Like the disciples had to watch Jesus be crucified. Like the Israelites had to watch the Ark of the Covenant go. I'm living through what seems to be the hardest day of my life. Listen to me. If you're living in your first day, don't give up at the crucifixion. Don't give up when it seems like your hope is gone. When the thing that you put your hope in lets you down. Because things will always let you down. And some people are in this room today living in their second day. The second day didn't look any better. It was on the second day that you start wondering what's going on. Why did this have to happen? There are so many people that I meet every day. It's not that they're living through their hard day. It's they're living on the other side of their hard day. And they're just questioning everything. There's some people in this room. I know your story. This is not your hard day. This is your second day. This is the day when you keep walking around going, why God? Why did you have to take her? Why God did he have to leave? Why did we lose that house? Why did that business fail? I put my whole life savings into that. Why did things have to go wrong? Why did that marriage not make it? Why did my kids go crazy? I raised them right. Why? Why did that? Why? Why? Where is God in all of this? And if I'm the disciples, I'm wandering around. If I'm the Israelites, I'm wandering around going, why would Dagon win? Why would the ark be there? If I'm the disciples, I'm looking at the tomb. I'm looking at the guard going, why and there are people in this room who are living their second day full of fear full of confusion not really in their hardest day just in their confused day it's just dark and it's Saturday and I don't have any hope and I don't know where things are and I don't know how to get out of this and God where are you my friends at some point in your life You're going to have to realize I can't put my hope in the thing, in victory, in that thing that I think is going to work out, in money, in success, in promotion, in cars. There's some people here who aren't living hard days. You've never struggled. Be honest with yourself. You're college educated. You got a nice house. You got nice cars. You got nice clothes. You wear a suit every day. Not like me. But you lay your head down at night, and it just seems so insignificant. You wonder why, why, I don't even, none of this even matters. None of this even matters. And on Easter Sunday in 2017, I wanted to tell you the God of the Bible that I'm preaching to you today, the relationship I'm offering you today with that God, is not a God of the first day when things are going horrifically wrong. 
is Jesus died for your sins. The reason you and I have access to God is because Jesus came. The Bible said that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He gave Jesus so you and I could be right with God. We can't be right with God the Father except Jesus came and died and paid for our sins. God demanded a sacrifice. And so that first day was that sacrifice and it seemed terrible. And then that second day, there's no answer. Everything's confusing. Everything's dark. The Ark of the Covenant's still there. And then on the third day, we realize my hope wasn't in any of this anyway. My hope was in that one who's in that tomb. And I don't know when he's coming out, but if he said he's coming out, then he's coming out. And my brothers and sisters, listen, I don't know when God will answer for you, but I do know this. He's the God that answers on the third day. There's no better day than Easter for you to have a resurrection story in your own life. There's no better day for you to decide, I'm going to turn everything around. I'm going to give God my first day that seems terrible. I'm going to give God my second day that's full of confusion and fear and doubt. And so I can have a third day in my life. Amen, everybody. The God of the third day is the God who answers. He's the God that prisoners are set free on the third day. The third day is when people come into the promised land. The third day is when Esther goes face to face with a giant king. The third day is when prophets like Jonah are spit out. The third day is when Dagon comes falling down and his head is cut off. The third day is when stones are rolled away. The third day is when the crucified carpenter comes back to life. You just never know what God's going to do when you show up to church third day. It's so interesting to me. It's the reason why the early Christians stopped worshiping on Saturday on the Sabbath. They decided to start worshiping on Sunday because that was the day of resurrection and they said, you know what? We're going to bet the whole farm on the third day. We're going to bet everything we've got. Every time we get together, I tell you what we're going to do. We're just going to remember that the God that we're worshiping today, all of this singing that we did, all of this jumping around, that's just me. Y'all going to have to get used to that. All of that stuff we do, all that loud, all this light, all these chairs, everything we have here, listen, everything we've done today is all about the God who can come back to life on the third day, giving you the same kind of resurrection. This church was made for people who live through hard days. There's some good churches in this area who are made for people who have it all together, but you're not looking at one of them. You're sitting beside some people who are living through the hardest day of their life. You're sitting beside some people who have questions and doubts and fears are living through a dark, confusing, fearful second day. And all that we offer you, our whole if you want to know what City Hill is all about and you don't know what Easter is all about, it's about saying, hey, since He's the God of the third day, since He can save a whole nation when it seems like all hope is lost, since He can come back, since God would raise Jesus from the dead, that same power, the Bible said, that raised Christ from the dead can live inside of you. And if it does, it can raise you up out of whatever's got you bound. It can pick you up. It, you can have a third day experience. God. Why don't you stand and grab somebody by the hand? Nobody moving around. Our dream team isn't moving. Nobody's moving. The message of Easter is that God has plans for your life. That's why He told the prophet, 
thousands of years before Jesus was ever born, let alone crucified and buried and resurrected. He said this, I know the, the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Jeremiah 29 and 11. They are plans for good and not for disaster. Listen to this. Look at this screen. To give you a future and to give you God said, that's why I came. Because all of the other sacrifices you had made couldn't give you hope. Rams and bullocks don't give you hope. Doves and goats, they they don't give you hope. But when Jesus was crucified, and when Jesus was buried, and it seemed like all hope was gone, and on the third day when Jesus came back, when Jesus was resurrected, He said, now you can have hope too. Not in some things in someone and if you need that kind of hope today I'm giving you the opportunity to say yes don't you bow your head and close your eyes nobody looking around and if you came with your family maybe take them by the hand I just want you to take about 60 seconds and examine your own heart the truth is I know this about you not because I know your story just because I know this about people there are people in this room who are living A hard first day. Come on, we've lost the battle. It seems like the Philistines have ravaged our whole lives. It seems like the enemy's taken everything from us. It seems like we didn't just lose the battle. He took the presence of God from us. Come on, disciples. I know what it's like to stare at the cross thinking, you mean I gave it all up for this? There's some people who are living through the worst day of your life. He walked out. She just told you this week, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm not fighting anymore. Your kids decided, I'd rather live some other way. I'd rather do something else. There's some of you who got, your boss told you this week, this is it. We're cutting your job up. It's just, oh, you're living through the worst day. There's some other people who have come through your worst day, but it's silent. It's that Saturday. It's that second day. There's no answer. There's no hope. It seems like everything's gone. God, where are you? God, why are you so silent about this? God, why haven't you come through? My friends, the good news is that you woke up on the third day. You woke up on Resurrection Sunday. And on Resurrection Sunday, anything can change. Anybody can be turned around. Any story can answer. Listen, if He can open a tomb that's sealed with a stone and a guard placed in front of it, He can restore your marriage. He can fix what's wrong. He can reverse the doctor report. You say, well, you don't know how bad it is. It doesn't matter how bad it is. I promise you this. It's not as bad as death. And if He can raise Jesus from the dead, He can heal cancer in your body. He can restore your marriage. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody today who's living through a first day or a second day and you're in church on the third day and you need a resurrection if that's you nobody's looking around nobody on the stage nobody's looking around nobody's moving if that's you if you're living in a worse day you're living in a first day or a second day and you need a resurrection a third day experience would you just boldly raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. Come on, hands are up. That's me. I see you. I see you. I see you. Husbands and wives and couples, I see you. I'm living through. I'm living through that question. I see you back there. Keep your hands up boldly. I'm living through that day. I'm questioning where are you at? Why, are, why did this happen? Where did she go? How did this go wrong? I see you. I see you. I see you. Hands up all over the house. Now put your hands down. Now I'm going to pray with you, but I can't pray this for you. 
So somewhere inside of your heart, somewhere inside of your guts, you got to get down deep, sincere. You got to let tears stream out of your eyes. Those tears that you've that you've cried over losing that thing, that you're going to have to give those tears to someone who can answer everything. You're going to have to give those tears that you've cried when she left, when when the doctor said it was no hope. You're going to have to give those tears that you cried at the funeral, at the lawyer's office when you got served with paper. You're going to have to give those tears to the only one that you can put your hope in. So with nobody moving and nobody looking around, I want you to pray something that sounds like this. Jesus, I believe that you rose again. Jesus, I believe that if you can conquer death and hell and the grave, that nothing's impossible with you. That if the power of God can raise Jesus from the dead, that it can raise my relationship. It can give me peace where I'm depressed and confused. It can give me hope where I feel hopeless in my second day. It can help me live through a bad day. It can help me live through the worst day, the worst season, my first day that seems so hopeless. So God, I give you my everything. Come on, you're going to have to say something like that. God, I give you this whole thing. God, I give you my first day, the worst day. God, I give you my second day. I give you all my fears, all my confusion. Come on, you're going to have to say that too. I give you all of my doubts. God, I give you all of my skeptics. God, I give you everything that's in me that's not like you. I repent. I repent of all that stuff, all of my sin. God, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, so I give you that. I nail all of my sin, all of my mistakes, all of my past to the cross. That was that first day. I've lived through that second day where I didn't know what to do next. But God, if you could raise Jesus, would you raise me up? Would you give me a brand new life? Would you give me a fresh start today? Would you come live inside of my heart? I make you the Lord of my life. Come on, tell Him. God, I thank you for saving me from all of my sins. God, I thank you for forgiving me. Your word says that you're faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. So I confess to you I'm a sinner. I confess to you that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And I need that kind of resurrection in my life. So I surrender it all to you. I thank you for saving me. Come on, tell him. I thank you for forgiving me. I thank you for the resurrection. I thank you for a third day that makes my resurrection possible, that makes my third day believable and possible. I thank you that I get to get up out of my tomb that's been holding me down. I get to get up out of my depression. I get to get up out of my sickness. Come on, somebody. I get to I get to get up out of my problems. I get to get up out of my fear. I get to walk out of that tomb that's held me back and I get to have a resurrection today. And I'm so grateful for that. I thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying for my sins. And thank you for the third day. In Jesus' name.